Welcome to Crime Wire on the Inside Lens Network, with programming dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved homicides and suspicious deaths. If you have a question or comment for today's guests, please call in at 646-478-0982. My name is Denny Griffin. My co-host is Delilah Jones of ImaginePublicity.com. Hi, Delilah. Hi, Denny. And here we go again. <laughs> I think this is probably show number 799 or something, but we've been around a long time. We've presented hundreds of cases with hundreds of guests and I just want to I just want to read a quick disclaimer um, before we get too far into this some of the podcasts on the Inside Lens Network highlight criminal cases some which are still open investigations as I believe this one is our intent is to allow families to present information for consideration by listeners our podcast and hosts no way represent our guests we don't claim to solve cases nor do we wish to jeopardize any open investigations our guests present their own information and while we may suggest resources and assistance were not liable for their subsequent actions. So, you know, that just leads me into talking a little bit about the Inside Lens Network, which, as I said before, we have hundreds of shows to listen to on a variety of different topics. We we do we have several different hosts who broadcast on this network, myself included. I have a podcast called Imagine Publicity on Air, which tackles a lot of different social issues. Um, I'd interview authors. Of course, CrimeWire has been around a long, long time. Um, Shattered Lives with Donna Gore um, covers a lot of the victim side of crimes and, and after thing, the aftermath. Of, of the crime and resources available to help victims journey on through their lives. So we cover a lot of bases, don't you think? We certainly do. More, more than I remembered. <laughs> You've done a lot over the years, Denny. I'm, I was just trying to think. I, I can't remember which year this all started. I want to think you go all the way back to like 2004, something like that. Yes, that's what's in my head. Yeah, so that's that's yeah, a long time. Years. It's a lot of a lot of episodes to for listeners to go through and find what they're looking for. It certainly is, and a lot of good programming, a lot of great interviews that I and and others on the network have done over the years. Um, before we uh, get into today's program, I just do want to say something I'm quite excited about is that on Thursday, August first. Uh, the new book, Survivors, will be officially released, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that. So uh, hopefully it'll it'll do well, and our intent is to bring attention to some of the problems with the justice system uh, regarding the way investigations are handled and where the uh, playing field seems to tilt in favor of the suspects uh, in a lot of cases. So anyway, that's coming, uh, will be officially released on Thursday. Well, and this is really an important book. I mean, this is really an important book for any victim of crime to pick up and read because it's actual stories. It's not... It's not written as fiction. It's not written as a true crime book. It's actual stories of people out there who have faced these problems in the justice system. So, you know, other people who are listening may get the book just for some tips or some guidance to get yourself through it. Yes, I I think it's, uh, you know, a book that needed to be written. And I really, my hat off to all these contributors who, uh, have stuck with it over the years trying to get answers to uh, the questions about what happened to their loved ones. Uh, on December 8, 2010, the 911 Dispatch Center in Centerville, Texas, received a call from Gerald Wilhelm. In a remarkably calm voice, Wilhelm, Wilhelm reported that he believed his wife, Janice, had killed herself. Blood was pouring from a wound in her neck. The husband explained that he and Janice had been sleeping in their recliners and she apparently had awakened and shot herself in the neck. Authorities responded and quickly ruled the death a suicide. However, after reviewing the available evidence, Janice's daughter, Jennifer Davis, and true crime author, investigator, and advocate, Sonova Cantrell, are not convinced. 
Wait, excuse me. Jennifer and Sonova join us today to discuss this troubling case, which may be just the tip of the iceberg regarding the number of, quote, suicides, unquote, in that same area. Jennifer and Sonova, welcome to the show. Hi, thank, thank you. you for having me. You are most welcome. And Jennifer, let's start off with you, if you if you would. Have you described what exactly went down, uh, as far as you know, that day on uh, December 8th of 2010, and what you found that makes you doubt that your mother actually killed herself? Well, um, first I'd like to go into um, my relationship with my mother. Um, we We were very close. I mean, she was, this was not just, a woman that died of a gunshot wound. This is a mother, a grandmother. Um, she was a nurse. She was an amazing nurse. Um, she was an artist. Uh, she was an amazing cook. She was a seamstress. And she was very active in all her crafts. And um, those items are clearly in the middle of... Um, being constructed when you look at photos from the crime scene. This was not somebody that was um, maybe going to the end of their life. This was somebody that had active projects all over the house. And um, when we first found out that she had passed away, um, the sheriff's department never contacted us. Uh, We heard from a third party and um, we were both completely shocked and, and devastated over the hearing about her death. And it was it was very odd that it was a gunshot wound because she had always had a lifelong intimidation of firearms. But we, we came to terms with the fact that, you know, there was something going on within her that maybe we weren't aware of and that she ended her life. And... Um, once we, we found closure with that, and then we uh, found out that there was a will that was probated. And so we went and looked at the will, and I immediately could tell that was not her signature. And we had that verified from a handwriting expert. And then we were trying to obtain all the information from the, the scene and to get 911 reports to get the call all of that, um, and we were immediately um, just, we hit a brick wall. Uh, They were not responsive. They refused to give, uh, the sheriff's department refused to give any information to us. We had to um, uh, use an acquaintance, a friend that was, uh, she's a journalist, and she was able to get the information for us which started to make us wonder what exactly was going on with the crime scene. So once we started looking at it, um, we found uh, all types of discrepancies that did not make sense to her uh, shooting herself with her left arm, such her her hands were under a blanket. Um, The gun was six feet away from the body. Um, She also had a large tumor removed from her left arm. She could not even lift a glass of iced tea and you can tell um, by the placement of all of her heavy items were on the right side of her body um, she uh, the bullet casing that was in the gun in in the gun you know the I don't know what you call it the cartridge or whatever but all those bullets did not match the one that the uh, coroner uh, retrieved from her which is kind of unusual. Um, the police department said there was a suicide note. We finally got to look at the suicide note, and it wasn't one. It was nurse's notes that she had um, written many years ago. Uh, and for an unknown person, we have no idea who that was, but she kept everything, so God only knows who it was for. Um, the 911 call, um, there were discrepancies of her husband in uh, regard to um, her medication. He was saying that she was out of medication on the 911 call. 
but there there's documentation that shows that she had medication. Um, it it just keeps going on and on and on as to um, it just doesn't make sense to us. And so we we really felt that something else was going on, but um, and we've we've talked with many people and. Um, we haven't found anybody that um, disagrees with us at this point. You say that you hit kind of a brick wall when you when you first started questioning uh, the circumstances around your mother's death uh, from the from the authorities, from the police, uh, which obviously made you suspicious. Did they tell you why they refused to release anything, or did they just ignore you, or? Or did they actually refuse in writing or by phone? I do not recall exactly. I believe um, I believe we just re- it was just dead silence. We didn't receive any communication back. Um, it it was like they were going unanswered, and I believe we might have one email that says that they were working on it, but. We never received anything from that. It's uh, it's it's to me being ignored by anybody. If it's customer service, it's here's Roebuck, or if it's a, a case such as this uh, where there's a, a lost life involved, to be ignored is absolutely maddening, and and I find that inexcusable by by you Trust. know people are owed explanations in my opinion. Um, yeah, I, I I can understand f- being frustrated, and I the unfortunate thing is is uh, you and your family are not the only ones. I mean, this happens I think a lot more than people realize. Uh, these cases where the authorities seem to be less than willing to to cooperate or or assist. Uh, Sonova, what? Yeah. Uh, you became involved in this case, and and you've done uh, a, a lot of uh, work on it. Could you could you tell us uh, basically how you came to get involved, and and what's happened once you did get involved? Uh, yeah, well, I uh, for those that don't know me, I I run a cold case blog, um, and I push that out, and it it reaches a potential half a million people each week, and I highlight obscure cold cases that maybe haven't gotten much publicity, or they just don't seem to be getting any traction in the media. Well, I had run a series of cases um, out of a local area, and this person said, when I got finished writing her cases, she's like, well, have you heard about this? And, and through my blog, I was introduced to Jennifer's brother, and um, that's where I kind of got involved in the case we were just kind of a mutual person that that uh, I had written for and and he knew and so it, it was just kind of a mutual online connection but once I got into the case um, the way I normally work is I research a case um, and just you know cram on the research and then try to condense it down into uh, you know a, usually a one blog post at the most 1500 words most of them run five to 700 words but when I got involved in this case it's got tentacles into so many other cases that I could not condense it down it ended up taking me a series of five blog posts just barely to touch the surface to into this case Um, and so I you know the more I find out the more I talk to um, it's just devastating you know Um, Law enforcement, you you we get this thing in our head. I, I think it's from we're conditioned socially by movies and things like this. We think of this big lone ranger type person that's going to fight to the death if need be to get justice for this you know this crime that happened, and um, we just automatically think that these cases are going to be done. They're going to be solved quickly. Uh, justice is going to be served, and people can try to mend as best they can and move on with their lives. 
but that's not the way these cases turn out, especially this one for for this poor family. This is a mother that um, that was lost, and now they can't seem to get justice for her. Everyone wants to take the easy way out and label it as something that it's clearly not. Um, Jennifer kind of alluded to it, but they've had people look into the handwriting. They've had handwriting specialists look into it and say, no, that's not her handwriting. Um, and they've even mentioned who they think it is. Um, then they've had specialists look into the case um, that looked at her mother's uh, medical procedure and then looked at the autopsy and said this is not possible. Um, you know, they've got documentation. I mean, they've had people... Um, you know, and it seems like the longer this wears on, the more people try to get involved and help. It's like they run up to a brick wall, and then that's all they can do, and it just stalls out. Um, but you have to think about it. Take out the fact that this is someone that that has a life that people care about. Take all of that emotion out. Think about it logically. For an arm to be able to move. It has to have a physical structure inside there. It's got to have certain tissues, certain tendons, certain muscles. Just from the structure of the arm, it has to have that, okay? And we have medical proof that that wasn't there. Um, You know, so you can take all the, you know, what everyone wants to say that this case is, uh, you know, that this is a suicide case and the family just doesn't want to accept it. You can take all that and throw it to the wind because, just down to that one point, it should be enough to prove that this is not suicide. The woman did not have the mechanical device in her arm to be able to lift it. That that should be an open-shut case, and that's what blows my mind on this. She doesn't have the tissue. She doesn't have the, the muscle in the tendons. She doesn't have it. It's not there. Um, and so, to me, this case is maddening, and it's not even my mother. And that's the reason why I'm trying to push hard and get more publicity for it and do, because it doesn't make any sense. There's no valid argument on the other side of this fence. Um, Someone comes up to me and says it's suicide. What's their argument to prove it? When that right there to me should be, the case should be done. It's uh, obviously you share Jennifer's concerns then uh, uh, about how this whole thing was handled and about the circumstances. Before we go any further, Sonova, would you please uh, tell the listeners how they can reach your blog and how they can maybe see what you've written about this particular case? Yeah, um, it's SonovaInc.com, S-Y-N-O-V-A-I-N-K.com. Um, and then, of course, I'm all over social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube. And I just went through and reshared the same blog post again. Um, but if you go on SonovaInc.com and uh, you type in Janice Wilhelm uh, in the search bar, it will come back up. And um, honestly, I'll be doing a uh, – I'm launching a podcast uh, – that will spend the whole first season studying this case because it's got to get solved. This is just the one of the biggest injustices I have run across in my career. Wow, that, that says something. Uh, uh, Jennifer, I, I know that uh, you and, and your brother uh, obviously are, are pursuing and have been pursuing trying to get justice in this case. Um, and I don't want to, uh, as Delilah mentioned earlier, uh, do anything that would jeopardize uh, any investigation or any efforts. But are you at liberty to share with the listeners any of the steps you've taken uh, to try to bring more attention to this and try to get uh, uh, get maybe a second look uh, or a consider- reconsideration by law enforcement? Well, we've um, we've had uh, a few attorneys that have had private investigators look at this. Um, they have all uh, agreed on the fact that it was not a suicide. We have um, gone to 
other uh, authorities. Um, uh, I don't know how to describe it. Um, such as the FBI, things of that nature. Um, the FBI said it wasn't a federal investigation, but they did feel that it was a murder and a, um, and a forged will. Um, but yes, of course, they refused to go any further because they said it wasn't under the federal guidelines. Um, we've had, uh, when we worked with NBC and um, CBS and Warner Brothers, they all had private investigators as well look at the case, and they all came to the same conclusion that it um, was not a suicide. Our problem is we can't seem to gain any traction. We've, we've gone to state, rep, state representatives. We've gone to uh, the attorney general, um, two different attorney generals, in fact, and um, it, the case is being ignored. And uh, we're, we're, we, once again, we're hitting a brick wall. We're not exactly sure what we can do. We've been accused of, oh, the, the kids just want the money. They want the land. They're greedy. Uh, they've accused us of actually being Sonova. Um, they've accused yeah. us yeah. of creating websites. They've accused us of, of all kinds of things. And um, we're just... It, we're we're not guilty of anything. We we want to we want our mother's case solved. That's all we want. Matt, yeah, yeah, I think that's it. funny. I, I, just to back I'm, up just a little bit, um, let me just ask: How quickly was this case ruled a suicide? I mean, was this something that? And I'm just using a made-up scenario here. The authorities walk in, the people who are there say, well, we think she killed herself, so they took that at face value, wrote up the report, and, and called it a suicide? That's exactly what happened. And they uh, sent her body to the Dallas coroner, and um, on the coroner's report, it says that the officials from that county already ruled it a suicide, and based upon that, um, the coroner chose not to go against the officials' ruling, and and it just it's remained a suicide. We've we've gone to the Dallas coroner about changing um, it to a homicide, but the um, the district attorney in that county has to request that and I believe people from the sheriff's department do so once again we've hit another brick wall well I want to make a point here I don't mean to jump in uh, but uh, people are wanting I'm sure people that haven't looked into the case are thinking well what is stopping this what, why is this uh, not being solved why, what are these officials not wanting to go up against and uh, i'll tell you what a theory is and the theory is is the right after that will was probated even though it was you know it was being contested as a forgery um a oil well was put in um and so it's like right in the in the yard is a well and so they're going up against money is the thing they're going up against oil they're going up against this and so it's almost like people don't want to get their hands dirty. They're like, oh, that's, that's, you know, that's big oil. We don't want to go up against it. We don't want to, you know, make any waves. Well, I understand it might be a fight, but this is someone's mother, you know. And so uh, that's where it gets a little touchy with people. They go all the way up to a certain point, and then it's like they, they stop. They're like, whoa, wait a minute, and they start backing off. And that's where... Um, it seems like, you know, me from being on the outside looking in, it seems like that's where uh, Jennifer and her brother are are running into problems because it it's almost like there's something to the back of this case that doesn't people don't want to mess with, and it seems like it's that's where yeah, that's where it initiates right there. Exactly, and, and, and that's kind of how we feel too that there's. There's a power that we're against that we 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 have no um, there's no way that we can find any traction with it. 
Yeah. And Janice, Janice wasn't the only uh, person to die under these rather suspicious circumstances. Am I correct that there were several other, quote, suicides, unquote, in that immediate area and, and also maybe yes. had to, to do with oil? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Possibly, yes. Well, the so, thing is, is right in this area is a, a, about a two-mile radius where uh, several different suspicious suicides popped up, and some of them t- ended up having oil on their property, and some, you know, we're not sure about. Um, and so that's where you kind of have to watch yourself as an investigator. You want to get into the conspiracy theory side, you know. But there's not much of a conspiracy there when it's obvious, you know, some some reason this will was uh, forged, and then an oil well went in. I don't know, Jennifer. Was it just a few months later? It was within a year, wasn't uh, it? It was, I believe, six months. Yeah. So it's six like six months after her death. Um, yeah, and so it's like, how can you not go there? You know, we're not trying to be, you know, conspiracy theorist here, but it's pretty obvious what the motive was. Um, when right. you're looking at this case, um, before I, I don't know if you're going to get into any of the other cases, but one thing I noticed when I was sent the um, crime scene photos, and it's hard to look at those. I mean, it really is uh, because here you have just a grandmother sitting in her recliner with her hands tucked under a, a, a little quilt blanket thing, and um, and. She looks like she could be asleep, other than this big, horrible thing on the side of her neck that you can't even bring yourself to look at. And um, then you start, okay, you get past the initial shock of it, um, and you're like, okay, you have to step back and think about it logically. Okay, where's the weapon? Where's her hands? Where's the, you know, you start looking at the surrounding uh, uh, of the picture there. She is sitting in a recliner. And she's got, like I said, her hands are under the blanket. We keep saying that because it's very significant. You you talk to the specialist that that look at what happened to her spinal cord. When that bullet went through her spinal cord, it completely paralyzed her instantly. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. She could not have put her hands back under that blanket. And so right there is another thing that says, wait a minute, you know, you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to figure out that if you're paralyzed and you just shot yourself, your hands are going to fall down wherever gravity pulls them. You know, that also comes to into play with the weapon. The weapon would either be in her lap or it would be right next to the chair. Instead, if you look at this, you know, trying to paint a picture for people listening, you've got her in her recliner. It's kind of snit at an angle. And then next to it, you've got your little end tables and stuff off to her right, which has her medicines um, that they said she didn't have, which is right there in the picture. It has some of her little uh, projects. Um, I don't know if it was knitting or what it was, but she had some little crafts there. Um, And then off to the left, um, there is a couch that's not completely straight up against the chair, but it's kind of to an angle. And then in front of that couch facing the other direction, the barrel pointing the other direction from her, about six to eight foot away is the gun. So that right there doesn't logically make sense. You you look at these cases, you have to think about physics. You have to think about, you know, all these basic science things that we learn in elementary. Gravity doesn't swing things eight feet away. That's not the way gravity works. Gravity pulls it to the center of the earth. So wherever she let go of it at, it's going to land right beneath that location. So how did it get six foot away pointing in the other direction? Then to make it even crazier, behind the couch is where the spent shell casings are. And so you just sit there and, and you try to sit here and logically think, how can this possibly be a suicide? Absolutely. And not only was the gun in front of her, you know, six to eight feet, but, you know, God love my mom. She was a pack rat and she had piles of papers 
and she never threw away anything. And there was a pile of papers, oh, I'd say at least a foot tall, um, just with knitting materials, including the nurse's notes that was a quote-unquote suicide letter, and none of that was disturbed. And if, if somehow magically the gun flew you know, away from her in the manner with which it landed, which, you know, it just doesn't make sense, it would have hit those papers, and those papers were not touched. Yeah. There's just too many things when you look at that to say that this is suicide without even trying to look into it. Well, at the very least, it sounds to me like it's uh, the crime scene was staged or it was cleaned up or things were put in places that they shouldn't have been. So something was disturbed in that crime scene. If it was a staged job, they were staging a murder scene because if they were trying to stage a suicide with any intelligence at all, they would have put that gun in her lap. Um, So if they were trying to stage something, they were trying to stage a murder scene because they did not do a very good job of it. No, they didn't. Let me let me ask you this. Uh, first of all, I'm sure the listeners are going to want to know about Mr. Wilhelm. What what transpired with him after the death? Well, he um, I don't know, Sonova. Do you want to take this? I um. <laughs> well, Jared Wilhelm was a little. Um, shady from the beginning and I'm trying to be circumspect here uh, because this poor family has been re-victimized through the court system taken to court over crap that is ridiculous and I'm sorry I said crap but it it irritates me Um, so I'll I'll be the bad guy here Gerald Wilhelm was not the the, you know a prince charming that was you know a bible thumping preacher let's just put it that way he had been in the hospital uh, with his wife, his first wife, uh, who had a stroke. Now, um, in that hospital was a beautiful nurse that he happened to know from the teenage years, and that was Janice Wilhelm. She uh, was a very good nurse, and um, he ran into her. You know, they kind of hit it off and kind of remembered, of you know, reminiscing of old days type thing. Well, they got into a relationship even before he got out of his marriage. Well, come to find out, uh, this gentleman stole some money from his first wife and then ended up divorcing her, leaving her with a little bit of nothing, and ran off with Janice. Well, I don't know if Janice knew all about this at the beginning or not, but this was how this relationship started. So it didn't start on a very you know, positive foot anyway. Um, but uh, they'd been married for, I can't remember how long, but what the problem with Gerald was is between the time of Gerald and her getting together um, and Mrs. Wilhelm's death, uh, there was a suspicious suicide that involved Janice's father. And that was where things started changing in the dynamic of their relationship. It was almost as if she was suspicious of him, as if she was nervous around him. Um, We weren't in the house to see how they related to each other when they were alone, but we know it wasn't good. Um, And and so after, after Janice's passing, uh, there was this cloud of suspicion over Gerald anyways. Um, For, for some people, some people thought, you know, nothing about it, but you know, the family was kind of, you know, you get a feeling about people, you know, and uh, so anyways, he goes and passes this will through probate, um, and I don't even believe the kids were told about it until afterwards. Were you, Jennifer? Uh, Yeah, we were not told about the will at all, and we even called um, the, uh, the court, like, every week asking about a will because we were trying to give him um uh, I forgot what the term is, um, where he has the right to live on the property until his death, and then we obtain the property. It's heir. Right. Oh, gosh. I honestly can't. But anyway, 
so yeah. we we were doing that, and we we kept checking on the will, and um, we were never even notified. Yeah. So everything is left to Gerald um, on this homemade will, uh, and I say that because they found the the computer program to write it up right there in the house, but. Uh, Within a short time, it goes to him, and then he it's complicated. goes to him, and Orwells are put in. And then how long was it before Gerald's death? Was it just a year or so? Oh, he passed away, I believe it's been two years now. So it was a good... It was a little while. Yeah, I would say it was about six years or so. Yeah. So, so Gerald, um, you know, the family's still fighting all this and Gerald's living on the land. He's, he's reaping the benefits of his royalty check for this oil well. And then all of a sudden he dies of a heart attack. And, um, we have no way of knowing if that was a real heart attack or if it was brought on by something else. Uh, we don't know. We can't speculate on that, uh, at this point, but, uh, he died. And so we're trying to figure out where is this property going now because it's been in Janice's family since the Civil War. So they go and they find out that this will has been left to a banker down the road and a ranch hand. It's not, has nothing, nothing's been left to the kids whatsoever. And so everything, just this whole ball of chaos just keeps rolling. Jennifer, do you know if any of the uh, these other questionable suicides that took place in the area, do you know if the families of those uh, of those people are questioning anything, or are they not? Um, I have heard that some of the families are questioning it. Um, they seem to be uh, intimidated uh, in coming forward. Many of them are. They seem fearful. You know, uh, Sonova mentioned a, a couple of minutes ago about getting into some of these other cases. Um, what I, I'm going to throw this out to, for everyone to, to comment on. Um, I really think it would be worthwhile to uh, do a separate show getting into the the overall picture. In other words, not just mm-hmm. Janice, but these other Right. deaths as well. Uh, right. uh, what do you think, Sonova, about maybe doing a, a show down the road where we get into the uh, the whole pattern of, uh, of what transpired? Yeah, yeah that might be a, a good possibility. The only problem we run into with that is we've got to have those specific families' uh, approval. You know, I don't want to go against anything or cause any problems with any investigations, but uh, if you look on my blog, it was last summer is when I wrote about it. It's actually a series of five different posts, and I do touch on several of those cases um, together um, and kind of try to tie them all together. Uh, the grandfather that I mentioned, Morris Robeson, um, which was Janice's father, he was another one that had a physical disability, and then somehow he shot himself in the back of the head. Um, and then the person that the very first one of the first investigators that showed up there um, was a neighbor and, but he was also a highway patrolman and he asked uh, Jennifer's brother, um, he asked him, he said, where's Gerald Wilhelm? I'd like to know his whereabouts. And so, and he also told the family that this didn't look like a, a homicide scene. This, there's something wrong with this crime scene. And this is just a investigator that happened to be a neighbor that happened to stop by. He wasn't supposed to be there. He just stopped by to see things. And um, and so that one is, is totally linked to Janice's his issue, you know, and her problem. Um, but then, you know, we've got some others that, that may not be tied to the Wilhelm family, uh, to the to the Robeson family, but uh, they are in the same county. They are in that same little area. And the strange thing, and, and this kind of goes into the conspiracy stuff because I don't have proof, but it all seems to happen right before the last oil boom in that area, you know. Um, and so you don't know. You, you've, um, 
you know, as a writer, you you want to write the story in a compelling way so people be interested and keep reading. You want to touch them emotionally so they will follow through. Uh, and everyone likes a good mystery and a good conspiracy, but when you're investigating, you've got to think of it differently. And so, um, but, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question. I, I ramble. I apologize. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, um, I did write out a series that involved uh, Morris Roberson's death. It involved that seeing that investigator that showed up where he wasn't supposed to show up. He ended up with a suspicious suicide a few months later as well. So I do talk about those, and I go into more in depth about Gerald's, uh, his passing. Well, what do you say we just... Uh, keep it open that, that if, if uh, any of these other families are, are interested in, uh, in in doing something or commenting or being guests and so forth, we could we can do a separate show on that. If not, we will uh, you know limit limit it to Janice's case. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think if, if we could get it to gel up, I think it would be very uh, you know could be very informative because there does seem to be a lot of uh, shall we say coincidences and I'm not a big believer in coincidence especially if you yeah. have too many of yeah. them uh, right. causes me suspicion what, what do you think Delilah oh I definitely think we should leave the door open for it because uh, you know you, you, when you're looking at the geographic area to have that many in a small area like that it's it's definitely worth questioning and I mm-hmm. think you you know if you look at some of the cases in the past that we've we've investigated denny you know in oklahoma and there were so many things happening within one jurisdiction that it 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 just begs to be questioned right right well and that's the thing with this case go ahead i'm sorry no no go ahead uh i talked to um uh jennifer's brother and um he has looked up some statistics, and I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but he had compared the statistics of the suicide deaths in this little bitty county to Dallas, and the suicide rate is worse than the, you know, the big city of Dallas. And we're talking about a little bitty rural county. And, uh, and so, I mean, that one statistic alone should make people question it. It really should, and it it makes a person wonder who is profiting from this. Mhm. Yeah. It, at the back of it, it just screams of someone that's out for greed and money. That's that's what it that's what it seems like. It really does. And what would be the motivation for the authorities? I mean, you know, to to so quickly take someone's word for it and so quickly rule these many cases suicide when clearly the crime scene says no. Um, what motivation is it for them that you found, if you know? Well, in my investigation, I, I'll tell you, I was raised to bleed blue for law enforcement. That's just the way it is, uh, you know, and I, you know, I always kind of give a, uh, you know, a little tag out before I say anything negative because the way I look at it, anybody that straps on a badge and a gun and goes out and puts their life at risk for somebody else is a hero, you know, so I, I always hesitate when I go to this, but it seems as if one, they're, uh, we'll we'll try to go on from there and and give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they're understaffed, maybe they're underpaid, maybe you know we can go through a lot of logical reasons. But uh, when you get to the end of those, you still have questions. You know, um, it doesn't take that much to go ahead and look at the documents that the family has already done the legwork and provided. You know, um, so you have to wonder. Um, is there somebody who paid off? Is there somebody that's um, maybe friends with somebody? You know, you're in a rural community where everyone knows everyone and half the people are related to each other. So are they just trying to protect somebody that they care about? I mean, I don't know. We, you know, you have to be careful when you start treading down that highway 
um, because it could lead you to a lot of speculation that could be, you know, completely false. You don't know. If I might say this, uh, what Sonova just said, uh, commenting on that, is that I have always been uh, very pro-law enforcement. I have a law enforcement background, and it, but you know, law enforcement is you know they have all kinds of computers and technical stuff. The bottom line is they're also human beings. The the, the people mm-hmm. that are actually on the streets and doing the investigations and answering the calls, and like you know, human beings are not infallible. Uh, you, you can have 99 out of 100 might be great, but you're always going to have some that maybe aren't quite up to speed. And, uh, right. uh, for various reasons, could be could be laziness, it could be simple incompetence, or or whatever. And uh, the book I mentioned earlier, the survivors book, was uh, one of the that's through the Transparency Project, which is uh, a group I started on Facebook. Because the current situation seems to be that when it comes to releasing records and and transparency, answering questions about what happened or how an investigation was handled and that type of thing, the people who make the determination of whether you can have access to these records are generally the police. And if if, right. if there's an open case, then they got that exemption. They're, they're exempt from FOIA requests or or whatever the particular mm-hmm. state has for their sunshine laws. And uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, putting the fox in charge of the hen house. Uh, right. You know, if if is a problem, if if perhaps the investigation didn't uh, accomplish what it should have, or was there was shortcuts or whatever, uh, or in the worst case scenario, actual corruption, um, they decide who's going to get to look at it. And uh, what we're trying to do through the survivor's book is bring attention to this and, and get uh, maybe through legislation, uh, some laws enacted that, that can help balance the playing field. For example, in Illinois, there's what's called Molly's law. And what that does, it, uh, if the agency where the uh, request was made for records declines the request, the uh, the requester can appeal to the attorney general's office, and they will examine uh, the circumstances. And it is up to the agency who is refusing to release the information to prove that it's not only an open case, because any homicide, you know, is open. But to prove that it's active, they actually have to show that they are actively investigating the case. If they can't do that, then they are ordered by the AG to release the information. That's just one of the things Molly's Law does, but it's it's a step, not not the end, but it's a step in the right direction. Right. And hopefully, That's a big step uh, too. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're hoping that through the uh, the public awareness, we can, we can build uh, build some momentum to, to get some of these things corrected, and give the survivors a better shot at uh, you know at being able to get the answers they they should be able to get. Right. Well, and see, that's the thing. That's the one thing I always hesitate about um, saying everything's corrupt, and um, because you've got a, got a lot of good people out there that's trying their best. Um, but then their hands are tied as well because all it takes is one bad apple. You know, you hear that saying, but it's true. You've only got one person that's not doing their job at 100%. And if that person is above all these other people that are trying to solve this case, then that one person can hinder the investigation, you know. And uh, so it makes it hard. But um, I agree that we need more legislation to um, to do this because it's so hard to get the documentation and then it's so frustrating from a victim standpoint because um, I work more on the victim side um, it's hard from a family standpoint to say well you're not doing anything why don't you give me the documentation and let me do it you know it, it's almost you know it's frustrating from a family side because they're like 
you know, and sometimes the law enforcement are doing something. They're just not public about it yet, you know. But um, some of these colder cases, there's nothing left for law enforcement to do until some more leads come in, you know. And uh, so it's frustrating on the family side because they're like, I would do something. I would talk to people. I will, you know, um, but they can't get the information they need. Uh, Sonova, it reminds me, and I, I don't want to lose track of where we are here with Janice's case, but uh, along that same vein, you uh, you have worked with a lady named Phyllis Cook, I believe. Mm-hmm, yeah, with the Dixie Mafia yeah. cases, yeah. Yes, and that's another maddening thing. Now, now mm-hmm. we're going back here, what was it, 50-some years, I guess, since the first uh, the death of her brother. And I mean, it's, it's just, right. uh, you know, how long... Can the authorities continue to say they can't release it? You know what I'm saying? It's just uh, right. Right. there has to come a point where it just doesn't make any sense <laughs> for, right. to uh, to right. withhold information. So I, I don't want to get yeah. sidetracked in that, but that's another example, I think. Of, in fact, Phyllis's uh, stories are in the survivor's book of, of her father and brother. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, very frustrating cases. Now, uh, yeah. I have another question. You say, uh, Jennifer, that eventually, uh, through a third party, we're able to get records and get access to uh, to records and scene photos, apparently, and, and so on. Uh, now that you have them, are can you share them with? Other, I mean, if, if let's say an investigator, you know, listens to this broadcast and wants to see if they can help you out. Uh, Type thing. Are you free to share this information out with others, or is it uh, something that you can't? Oh. No, I, I do believe that we can share that with. We can share that with whomever wants to see it. Well, and there's some websites that have them uploaded, don't they? Um, I think, I think uh, so, but I I'm think not I found sure. some online. Yeah, and then, of course, on my site, there's some of them, uh, links to some of them. So, I mean, I'm not sure where they're all um, online, but I know you can Google some of them and come up with a few things. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where they just need help. You know, I was telling, uh, I was telling her brother, um, I've worked with him mostly, but uh, it's like, we can talk about this and talk about it and talk about it. We've got to keep pushing, you know, got to keep going. But we've got to get somebody that can help us get this in, uh, you know, in the legal standpoint, get it in court, get it going, you know. So if there's somebody listening that has that capability, I'm sure the family would be happy to send you whatever they can, uh, you know, to help because, you know, we can – pick up a stink as much as we want but if there's not somebody that can just jump in and say hey I'm going to help you get this into court I'm going to it seems like the first step is we need to change that um, on the death certificate from from suicide to suspicious death you know we need someone that has the ability to get that done and then it's like that's the first step and then we can go to the next step and so I'm like I implore anybody that's listening, if you have the capability of helping us get to that first step right there, uh, call in, you know, contact somebody because, uh, you know, these poor people have fought for years um, on something that should have already been taken care of. Um, so, but anyways, that's my little rant on my soapbox. I'll <laughs> step off of it now. Uh- <laughs> Sonova, I'm in uh, agreement, though, and we'd be more than happy to get the documentation to whoever can help us. Sonova, this is, I think, an appropriate time again before we run out of time for you to give your website again, because if uh, you know people want to go and take a look at at, at some of these uh, uh, documents or photos and so forth, mm-hmm. and, and also can they can they contact you through these uh, through your website if they have information or want to. Uh, you oh, yeah. want to oh, check yeah. with you? Yes, oh, I okay. have. Uh, I have. Then go on my website, sonovainc.com, S-Y-N-O-V-A-I-N-K.com. Uh, you can email me at sonovainc at gmail.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on, I'm on all the social media platforms other than Snapchat. And uh, so, yeah, if you 
want to reach out to me, that's fine. Um, I'll relay messages, whatever. I, I told Wayne a long time ago, I'm, I'm going to, I may not have a badge, but I'll follow along and I'll keep pushing right along. I'll, I'll jump right into this fight and fight with you. So um, anything I can do to help, I'll be happy to. Great. That's, that's great. Uh, Delilah, do you have any uh, comments or thoughts? Well, I just hope that you know some something comes out of of all of this that you've done and and that you've been working on that you come away with some peace of mind. Yes, that that's what would be nice is to have uh, closure in this. Well, and closure is such a a hard thing, you know, because grief never really goes away. It's just can you deal with it and just. I know from some of the victims' families that I've been able to help that when this fight is over, um, they at least have the knowledge and the peace that comes with the knowledge that they have fought for their loved one and they have succeeded. Um, they didn't let this fight go on, you know. Um, they, they, they accomplished what their loved one needed. And so this is what we need to provide for these people. We need to step up and think about it as if it was your mother and, and say, Hey, I'm going to fight this with them and I'm going to, I'm going to help them bring them peace with this. Very well you know, said. Uh, I, I think my experience has been, and it's Nova probably yours is, as well, that the victims or the survivors of victims that deal with the system uh, trying to get res- some resolution. It's very, uh, I think, understandable that in many cases they get beaten back. In other words, when you keep hitting uh, these brick walls and and you, you get frustrated and you can't seem to make any progress and you have to keep reliving the, the events and so forth, that I, I think it's understandable that a, a lot of the people just kind of drop by the wayside. They just can't take it anymore. They get beaten into submission by the system, right. and yeah. the people such as Jennifer and the people in the survivors book that have have kept going for years and years, in some cases decades, not giving up. Um, uh, you know, I really have to take my hat off to them because it, it can be a very certainly frustrating uh, situation to go through, especially year after year after year, and and. And not just throw your arms up and say to hell with it. I can't. I can't take anymore. So uh, I, I really uh, think that that people that do have the stamina and the emotional resources to hang in there are the best shot everybody has of getting things changed or, or you know the public awareness piece to to try to get uh, this level or a more level playing field. So hopefully that can be done because. It's, uh, I, I think the number of cases out there of the, of the people going through this would surprise a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people have no clue that right. these types of things happen. So right. you know, this public awareness is key. Yep, it really is. Uh, having said that, unfortunately, our time is up. Uh, Jennifer and Sonova, thanks so much for sharing this disturbing story with us. And Sonova, thank you for all you do uh, as an advocate and, and helping out the victims. And, and this was a story that needed to be heard. Yes, and it is. It is. Please let us know if, we're, if you think we're able to gel up doing another show, you know, about the uh, the overall uh, situation. And if not, if there are any developments at all with Janice's story, We'd love to have you back on for an update because I'm sure our listeners will be into this and, and anxious to hear if there's anything uh, new developed. So will you do that? Yes, oh, absolutely. And thank yeah, you so definitely. much for giving us the opportunity to speak again. Okay, it's been, been our pleasure. And also thanks to our listeners. Until next time, stay safe. Uh-huh.